knead this stuff into the bread and it just magically rises up in like 45 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Jesus says this is like the kingdom of God, that there's something that's been woven into all creation um, and into the church. And, And even though you can't perceive why it's happening, it affects everything and it's unstoppable. This is Pastor John. And this is Pastor Tim. And this is Every Moment His, a podcast devoted to how the gospel, specifically from the sermon, uh, is applied to our daily lives. Um, so how are you doing, Pastor Tim? I'm great. What are you drinking there? I got some lime bubbly. Wow. Yeah. How is it? You know, it is as expected. What I like about it is there's zero calories, but it okay. just kind of feels like I'm, I'm drinking a soda or something without... You know, high fructose corn syrup coursing through my it's veins. It's good, you know. We're getting into our upper 30s. We've got to watch <laughs> yeah. this kind of stuff. I know. I start making decisions, you know, that are yeah. funny when you think about, like, it, in your 20s, you would never think, I will be switching from Coca-Cola to bubbly, which yeah. is like yeah. a seltzer water. What about You're, you? Uh, I'm in the finer things club here because okay. I have, I just cracked open a cold one, S. Pellegrino Essenza, <laughs> lemon and lemon zest from Italy. So, hello. Top that. Yeah, it uh, should be carved out of marble. I think. It really should be. So I'm living my best life now, right now. That's nice. This is yeah. yeah. I'm well. There you go. I'm you 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 can improve. You can only go up from there. Yeah, bubbly is the lower shelf, you know. Yeah. And then if you go up, you get to the top shelf stuff, which is Pellegrino. This is a senior pastor drink. Right? <laughs> so. So, do you, would you like to hear a joke? Okay. All, all right. right. All, all right. right. This, I like this one. Um, no offense to anyone. It might be slightly offensive, but I think it'll it's useful. So We're all like we want to <laughs> hear now. Yeah. A man uh, went to his doctor uh, for his checkup. And after the checkup, he, he was just shooting the breeze with his doctor. And he said, hey, Doc, how how long how much longer do you think this coronavirus thing is gonna last? And the doctor said, How should I know? I'm not a politician. Ooh. <laughs> I think I've officially canceled you, <laughs> yeah. uh, Pastor Tim. I know. <laughs> but no, I mean let's be honest, that sometimes this can be a very politicized issue. Absolutely. And depending on the politician, it's either, you know, it's over tomorrow or it's over in three years, you know. It's or never frustrating. Over. It's just frustrating. Yeah. And I tell you what, um, we, this has been a hard week, I think. Can I have a counseling session with you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a little bit. Not to just kind of put it all out there, but, you know, just as a church, we are really faced with some heavy decisions. And and I think we have been kind of trying to throw the dart at the moving board. I mean, we're dealing with that now, trying to get ready for fall education, for confirmation. Uh, we dealt with that when we shut down when we open back up and then all the directed health measures change and there's so many opinions on this that it, it's hard. Yeah. And I think we've stayed fairly united as a church. That's been good. Uh, but when it gets to the question of to mask or not to mask, yeah. uh, that's a really dicey one. Well, and as we see in the world, you know, it's pretty incredible um, how many new cases there are in the United States mm-hmm. in particular. You know, Florida, and I think I read not too long ago, there was something like 67,000 cases in one day. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. even if that is an inflated number, it can't be that inflated. Yeah. Yeah, And so, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we keep people safe in church? Um, How do we love our neighbor and 
how do we do that in a way that we stay united as a church because there are diverse opinions and so really it comes down to do we strongly recommend masks or do we require them and we're in the process of making that decision now you know in conversation with our board of directors and so you know by the time people listen to this podcast i will probably have a decision that we're communicating but just you know pray for us uh pray for our church because we want to do what's faithful and we want to do what's the best decision and sometimes in leadership the the right decision's not the easy one yeah yeah and and there's always someone who's going to have a different opinion you know but i think yeah as we look at how can we involve the most people pos- possible in reflecting on god's word and and being comfortable together mm-hmm. and um as corporations are catching on to this you know, Menards, Walmart is saying you should wear your mask, and and schools are considering this as they uh, think about how they're going to reopen. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to consider those same things, yeah. and uh, especially when, as a church, we want to sing. You right. know, we want mm-hmm. to be the church. We want to gather together, and um, there's just we want it, we want it to be as normal as possible, and that might require um, us to. Um, us to take some precautions so we can continue that normalcy as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. yeah, for real. And, you know, for me, like the whole issue of a mask is, you know, if me wearing a mask is going to protect somebody and it's also going to also create a, a, a peace of mind and allow us to have some semblance of normalcy, then I'm sign me up for that. I'll do mm-hmm. that. And even if it inconveniences me, I'll do it for the sake of my neighbor. So like when I go to the grocery store, I'll wear a mask, you yeah. know, and things like that because... You know, I, I don't want to harm anybody, and and I don't want to be harmed or my family, and and so I think as Christians we should always approach this as a how do I best love my neighbor, how do I love the person who's vulnerable? Yeah, and and I think too the risk as a church as church leaders is, you know, if if you or I were to test positive for the coronavirus, um, pretty much we, the whole church would have to quarantine. Yeah, we got to shut down. Pretty yeah. much, because, mm-hmm. we, you know, we would have to assume that we have it because we work in proximity to each other, and we would have to take precautions, and that could be very disruptive. So there, yeah. there's a risk. So, you uh, know, not fun times, but, you know, I am at peace in knowing that through all the ups and downs of this whole thing, that God is at work. He's doing good things. Mm-hmm. He's rooting us in the gospel, which brings us to our last rooted sermon. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are preaching that this weekend. And so we're dealing with this question of the parables. And uh, the question is, is God's kingdom a fail or a hidden success? Right. And this is um, a constant theme in the gospels in particular, but also in the, in the epistles of the new Testament. Uh, But really throughout the whole Bible, it's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, look, God's working, even though you can't really see it, you know, even in Isaiah. Yeah. I just think about how Isaiah says, can't you see I'm doing a new thing? You know, right. God is speaking to his people. Mm-hmm. It's springing up right in front of you. Yeah. Um, and you you just, can't you perceive it? You know, and that continues yeah. into the New Testament, into the person of Jesus and his kingdom come. You know, and, and in ministry, we experience failure so much. And in churches, we experience at least perceived failure. And, and a lot of churches are struggling with this, like, oh, you know, you know, giving's not what we'd like it to be, and or, you know, attendance or membership or all those things. And, or you're sharing the gospel with somebody in your family for years and years, and it just doesn't 
take root. Yeah. All those things. And, you know, I've just become more convinced that God is ultimately in control in, in this strange, sovereign way. Because as I read the Old Testament, I've just become more settled in this. As you read the Old Testament, it looks like a massive failure, right? Yeah, I mean, no kidding. You look at, for example, God's people in the book of Judges where everybody did what was right in their own eyes, but God preserved a remnant, right? You get to the... Um, the days of the kings and you had good ones but mostly bad ones and most of Israel fell away but you had this faithful remnant that went into exile and then God brought them back and and throughout all the generations it just seems like it's a fail but when the kingdom's revealed in power yeah it's it's a win well as you're speaking about that it reminds me of um, Elijah Mm-hmm. I, I think it's Second Kings, where they where they have the, he has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. Oh yeah! And immediately after that, um, Jezebel and King Ahab want to kill him. Yeah. So they they put a, a price on his head essentially, and he flees, and he gets super depressed, right? And he he's like, God, just kill me, just take just me now, take me now, because I did everything you wanted me to do, and and yet my life is still in danger, and the comfort that an angel comes and comforts him. Is that the still small voice, the whisper yep. in the cave? And God's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, yeah. What's and your deal? Yeah, and, and gives him food, yeah. you know. And, uh-huh. and and the comfort is this, that there is still a remnant who has not bowed their knee uh, to Baal. Yeah. And so the comfort is kind of an interesting one. It's that there are Christians, right? Or there, the people of, there are faithful people out there. Yeah. Um, they might not be always evident. You can't always identify them. They don't have a, uh, you know, a cross above their heads or something. Yeah. But they are faithful, and God knows them. And yeah, it's often hidden them. in weakness, and and right. you know, and I think as a pastor, I've just gotten kind of used to that reality of like, you know, when somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, I want to be a member of your church," there's a part of me that thinks, "No, you don't." Like, you know, I will continue to to minister the word to you. I'll be faithful in in encouraging you to be a Christian, but. But I am not going to be severely disappointed if if you don't latch on to the gospel because it's been my experience that most people don't. Mm, mm. Is that your experience from time <coughs> to time? I mean, I, you I have these so. great, like, amazing stories of people's lives who are changed and who who hear the gospel and it takes deep root. And the people in our church are evidence of that. But so often, I've just kind of gotten used to rejection. And, well, yeah, and I think one thing you have to learn uh, as a pastor, um, and even as a Christian today, is like, yeah, you might not see, you might not see what you want to see, mm-hmm. uh, and then you might be surprised. Uh, but as a pastor, one thing I had to learn very early is like, you just can't take it personally. Yeah, because you're not in control, and you really can't change people's hearts, but God can. Yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, right, he does. So I think you have to keep an optimism, uh, like a, an optimism that anything might occur, but then at the same time not be surprised when it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah, pe- people come into your church, you think this is great, they're really engaged, and then they're just like, hey, we changed our mind, we're breaking our vows, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then at the other, and then someone else comes along, someone you wouldn't expect, and they, they just say, you know, I, I got to be here. And I want to know Jesus. Yeah, and suddenly it's a rooted. great success. You know, yeah. as far as the uh, the metric that God is looking for is 
a faith or a response to the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really what the parables are getting at here, I think. So you get the, the parable of the sower that kind of kicked us off. Uh, most of the seed doesn't get rooted. I mean, it gets rooted up. It gets, uh, or it doesn't put down roots, or the roots are compromised or conditional. Uh, but then you still have a harvest, right? And glory to God for that, because that harvest is going to glory in Christ forever. So, hmm. uh, And then you've got the parable of the weeds, the seeming inconsistency, like, God, why do you let the weeds oppress the wheat and hinder the growth? And then we get to these these parables here. I kind of joked around with Quentin last week that I'm giving you the leftovers, yeah, but they're right. not. They're good <laughs> stuff. Um, you've got the mustard seed it's like small and and then it becomes big never would have expected that and then the leaven slowly but surely it works its way through everything and then you've got the hidden treasure uh kind of hard to miss i mean easy to miss rather yeah, it's, it's easy, easy to, to miss, miss but, but tremendously it's worth valuable right and then the pearl just a tiny little thing but it's worth everything mm-hmm so yeah, all all of these have that theme of hiddenness, you know, or um, you know, you could miss it. There's a there's a perception that people could have, or there's a mystery to it, you know. Like when we think about um, when we think about the uh, the leaven, for instance, which is just yeast, mm-hmm. you know. And I talk about this in the sermon. It's like it's kind of magic, you know. <laughs> like if yeah. you remember making bread as a kid for the first time. You think, whoa, you need this stuff into the bread, and it just magically rises up in like 45 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's, Jesus says, this is like the kingdom of God, that there's something that's been woven into all creation um, and into the church. And, and even though you can't perceive why it's happening, it affects everything, and it's unstoppable, right? Yeah. Yeah, and even some of the things that we take for granted in, in our American culture— um, are really part of that leaven working itself into mm-hmm. society. So, you know, the fact that we as a society care about equality, that we care about, you know, the rights of, um, of human beings, we care about the poor, you know, hospitals, medicine, even, you know, science, these things go back to biblical concepts. Yeah. And, and so... It's this idea with science that you can explore the world, that it makes sense, that you can understand it from a good creator. Uh, you've got medicine, this care for the body to understand it and treat it as in God's image. Uh, you've got this, uh, the founding of you know orphanages and hospitals that are mm-hmm. faith-based. So a lot of these things that we just take for granted, even secular culture adopts as normal, right. they came from the gospel of Jesus Christ from a biblical foundation. And so that leaven has been worked into society even to the point where those who don't acknowledge Christ deal with it. They kind of deal yeah, with it. Yeah, and values. they even claim it as their own. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's uh, it's shocking to see some of these uh, these grand ideas that have come into the world through God yeah. that humanity has latched on to and then they take credit for it as if it was their own invention, you know. And you mentioned uh, equality, you know, John Locke, who was the political philosopher that really the um, the American founders, uh, founding fathers, they used hit John Locke's work to, to write the Bill of Rights. And John Locke took all of his ideas about government from this, uh, from the Old Testament, 
mm-hmm. and the New Testament, but the Old Testament about people being made in the image of God. Having inherent rights yeah, and, and law that's reflecting, right. rights reflecting Rights not given rights. to people by governments, but yeah. rights given by their creator. And that's exactly how the Bill of Rights starts, you know. And this could be a whole separate episode, but this idea of... Uh, in the secular worldview, and by secular I mean you remove God from it, um, the understanding of rights are not based in a creator or in something transcendent, but rights are agreed upon by other human beings. And really Mm -hmm. it's a power thing. Whoever's in power determines rights. Now, the Christian perspective is that we are all accountable to a creator who gives us rights. And he's kind of like, you know, the teacher in the room who says, here's the rules. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Uh, whereas it's a little bit more of a whatever we all decide in the secular world. So, um, so yeah, lots of good parables here. And I think it just kind of shows us that, that sometimes the work of God's kingdom just doesn't look all that flashy. Mm-hmm. In fact, the experience of the church is often the experience that Jesus had both in his ministry and his cross being despised and and not really prized as important, and yet in the end, yeah, uh, it wins out. And, wins and, out. and this yeah. is a lot, you know. The other par- one of the other parables is the parable of the mustard seed, and I think this one in particular uh, corresponds well to the life of Jesus. You know, like because Jesus talks about himself as a seed all the time. You he know, does in the Gospel in like of John, John. Twelve. Yeah, yeah. he says. You know, unless a seed first falls to the earth and dies, then it can grow up and create much fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then here in this parable, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is this tiny little thing. But then as it grows up, it, it's the grandest um, of the plants in all the, all the garden. And yeah. even animals come and make their home in it. And this is really a picture of Jesus. You know, his, his, I mean, he's not really that spectacular, yeah. Apart from his resurrection, you know, he's a Jewish rabbi, a in the miracle armpit worker. Of the Roman Empire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Romans crucified lots of people. You know, it was not a big deal. It was Tuesday, Tuesday or Friday, I guess, in this case. But you know, once a week there'd be someone crucified. Yeah. A re- rebel against the uh, the Roman Empire, and so who cares if a Jewish rabbi got killed? You know, yeah. it wouldn't make the front page news in Rome. It wouldn't, and and yet. You have, and I, I think I remember in Josephus somewhere. Jo- Josephus is a is a Jewish historian, um, more or less a contemporary of Jesus, uh, and and Josephus I think m- notes that at one point, I think earlier, a little bit earlier after Jesus's life, that so many Jews were crucified by the Romans that that they ran out of out of the w- the timber that they'd used for it. Wow. Like that it was just. Any Jewish person would have been so familiar with crucifixion. It was the shameful way to die. Yeah, it was horrific, yeah. I mean, uh, polite Roman culture didn't even mention yeah. uh, crucifixion in popular culture. And so so you have this scandalous event of, you know, of like, wow, the, the Son of God is crucified on a Roman cross, and he has these followers that are really nobodies. They're fishermen, Galilean peasants. And from that really small mustard seed, we get to where we are today, and mm-hmm. you can see the influence. And so if God can do that, I mean, wow, it's going to be... Well, and Christianity is the largest religion in the world at it, um, 2.3 billion 
people mm-hmm. confess to be Christians, or at some, you know, I think um, Pew Research did a did a an estimate. Yeah. Um, so that's incredible. That's an you know, it is the it is the largest tree in the garden now. And and I would just say this as a point of application for our listeners. You know, you might be trying to figure out how to live in a culture that's more and more opposed to your faith, or you may be trying to figure out how to not lose heart as you're sharing your faith with your friends or family members or neighbors or coworkers. And, and it just seems like, you know, your efforts are all for nothing. And, and just to be encouraged that uh, keep planting those mustard seeds, right? Mm-hmm. Keep planting those seeds because God's going to take care of it. Um, what really isn't important is the results. God will take care of that. What's important is that we're faithful. Yeah, and, and I think we should take heart in um, Jesus. You know, first of all, if you are mourning because someone you love is not a Christian, um, you have just a glimpse of the, the love of Jesus there. You know, yeah. like Jesus mourns like this too. He mourned for Jerusalem and he mourns, he desperately, more more than you even, wants, uh, wants people to be saved. Um, but know that, you know, if you are in that place, first of all, you're in great company with Jesus, but also look at the produce that came from his faithfulness mm-hmm. was in- astounding. And so we should we should have more confidence in the word of God to do what it says it's going to do. Yeah. And to, to grow and to know that that's the most powerful thing in the universe is the working of the Holy Spirit yeah. um, in, in sinners' hearts. And really an encouragement for parents, too, because, you mm-hmm. know, if you've got kids and you're, whether they're kids that live with you or they're kids who've moved out and they've got their own families even, uh, you may feel kind of weary and I don't know if anything that I'm saying is making a difference. Right. But, you know, we were talking about this earlier this morning about how, you know, sometimes as preachers and maybe as parents, we, we want to share the gospel through a sermon or a conversation and just see the person immediately just get it. Right. And they're like, here I am, Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lights come on. Lights come on. They bow the knee. They confess Christ. But, you know, that happens sometimes. But more often than not, it's that the conversations continue and they sink in. It's almost like the things that, you know, I think of things that my parents told me that I really didn't <laughs> understand. Like, hey, you know, we work hard to provide for you. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, okay. Okay. <laughs> mom and dad. And then, and then you get to be age 25 and you have to buy your own health insurance and you're yeah. like, Oh, now I, I remember. It. And you what remember you said, you yeah. remember, you know? And, and so I think that we're just continually doing the work and leaving the results to God and, and trusting that the kingdom's got this steady growth. Um, it's like the cucumbers that I have in my backyard. I, go out and I fiddle with them. I look at them and they seem small. I'm like, do I need to add more fertilizer? I come back two days later and they're huge. (laughs) So I think that's the way it works. So that's what we want to be about as pastors. And that's what we want all of you all to be about in your own context. So, yeah. So that, that's the kind of pictures that Jesus gives us. The other is the, the parable of the hidden treasure um, and this one really is about the, um, well, it's kind of got two things. These people aren't looking for the treasure, yeah. but they stumble upon it. And so I think part of it has to do with the, it's unrecognized. 
um, and so people can miss it. However, it's it's not far from any of us. Yeah, right under your feet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you could have been walking there a hundred times, and and it's right there. And so the good news of this is that the gospel is available. This is the day of God's salvation. It is not the day of God's glory and judgment. It's the day of mercy and grace in Jesus. And so anyone who um, is out there, they're the kingdom of heaven is right with them. And if they recognize it, you know, by the working of the Holy Spirit, they have a fortune, you know. And in the parable, the man in great joy goes and sells all he has. And it's not that he's crazy. Mm -hmm. He purchases the field. He would look crazy to the world, but it's just that he's found something more valuable. Yeah, I always like that parable because I think it gives us the right motivations for when we give up things in our lives, when we say no to sin, when we, you know, break out that relationship or when we, you know, curb that activity. Uh, well, it it's it's because we're giving it up for something better. Like our motivation is that the love of God and Jesus Christ has persuaded me and moved me in a different direction. Because to choose something is to say no to something else. And if we're, we're coming to God and, and wanting the things of God, we're naturally saying no to other things. Yeah. And that's, I think, the proper model of how we grow as Christians is that we're like, we're captivated by the beauty of Christ, which makes everything opposed to him not look all that great. We lose sure. our affections for it. Yeah. yeah. We see the truth. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, I recently heard there was a very high-level soccer coach. He's he's I believe he's the coach for um, uh, Liverpool, which mm -hmm. is one of the win winningest you know uh, soccer clubs in the world. I don't watch soccer. It's not. You should man. That's great. <laughs> but um, but this man he you know after like I don't know three championships in five years, they were talking to him and he just said, yeah, winning's not everything. Uh, everything is knowing Jesus. It was an incredible test. I mean, this guy's like got everything from the world's perspective, you know, and he's in, you know, what guy wouldn't love that kind of arena yeah. to be a master of? And he just says, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, he's probably drinking a lot of uh, Ice Pellegrino <laughs> Essenza water. What right? Yeah, whatever the, the English version of that is. Which, by the way, this loses its luster as it gets lukewarm. I'm Indeed. <laughs> in the words of Jesus in Revelation, I'm about to spit it out of my mouth. But, uh, when it loses, it's, it's bubbly, you know. Yeah. So, well, all right. I think we've done justice to the parables as much as we can. and uh, But we have a new sermon series coming up. Yeah. This coming Sunday. So we'll talk about that in the next episode. Can you just give me a sneak peek? So the sneak peek is that Not it's called much. save. Not uh, too much, but just peek, just, yeah. a, just a little hint. <laughs> is called save to serve. Save to serve. Saved to serve. And so the idea is trying to understand, you know, very much like this podcast, trying to understand how God's gospel applies to every part of our lives, and in particular, into those callings that have been placed on us by God. So marriage, uh, family, uh, your your place of work um, and where you get income, neighbor, citizen, uh, singleness, you know, whatever station in life God has gifted to you, how the gospel impacts those in particular uh, yeah. settings. And we're going to get practical, right? We're going to talk about 
practically how does this work out in life, but we're not going to get moralistic. And what I mean is that often when churches will talk about these things like marriage or parenting or singleness or work, it's like, do this and don't do that. And we're going to take the approach of looking at how does the gospel shape these things? Namely, how does the forgiving, saving, unconditional love of Jesus Christ change my heart and my will as I approach my spouse or looking for a spouse or approach my work my studies, yeah. all that, yeah. All right, but that's enough of a sneak okay. peek. I, I, I just wanted to give people <laughs> the essence of it, Yeah. <laughs> like my, my drink, but I was starting it's to... It's essenced with lemon, and we have just essenced this podcast with a little bit of talk of our next sermon series. So, yeah. All right, well, thank you for joining us for this episode. We look forward to our, our next um, sermon series where we really dive into the specifics of how to live uh, as a Christian in our callings. Catch you next time.